What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the I Don't Get It podcast. Today, we are joined by Dr. Jolene Brighton for the second time ever. Uh, We are so excited to have her. If you guys don't remember, Dr. Jolene Brighton is a hormone expert, a nutrition scientist, and a thought leader in women's medicine. She is board certified in naturopathic endocrinology and trained in clinical psychology. She has a new book out. It is called Is This Normal? And the tagline is judgment-free, straight talk about your body, everything from sex, hormones, periods, and everything else you've ever wanted to know, but honestly have been too scared to ask because these things are awkward. And I asked you guys on Instagram to anonymously send in some questions. I'm sure they're actually broached already in the book Mm -hmm. because she covers so much in here. Like literally all the awkward questions that you've ever had that you were too scared to ask the doctor, they're in this book. Can I just uh, say that this is like, this is a Bible that every mm -hmm. woman person should have in their house. Like this is actually a Bible that should go under the toilet seat (laughs) because it literally, (laughs) I literally just opened a random page, how to remove a lost tampon or condom. Oh shit. This is the most extensive, the most extensive. Wait, wait, we have so much to say. We have so much to say, but I do need (laughs) to just say that this is like the adult version of the American girl book. Like how to know your body. What was it called? How to get to know your body. This is like the adult version of it. So yes, keep it. It'll be a classic and pass it on to your daughter in the future. Anyway, Dr. Brighton, thank you so much. Hello. It's time for you to say hi. (laughs) Because I'm not like overloading you. (laughs) It's all good. This is why I love this podcast because I'm like, it's, it's, just a good time and you never know what you're gonna get and who doesn't love that (laughs) oh my gosh now i feel like now my mind won't be able to go anywhere other than how do you get the tampon out the lost let's start there honestly because i did lost condom there's that too i had one up inside me doctor um for seven days and i tell her this first yeah i just i had sex and i forgot the tampon was in uh, lodged up there and i was a little drunk so i didn't remember and then yeah, yeah. i think it just started feeling weird and smelling weird and then i was like did i and then honestly i i would love your your professional opinion on how to retrieve it yeah well i'd love to hear anyone else ever have anything lost inside them <laughs> tampons no, condoms anything no but can i tell you that every period i think that i'm accidentally putting two up there yes and i did an instagram reel on it last week and damn was it controversial i'd say wait really why oh, yeah i'd say how so 70, 
75% seemingly thought it was really funny and relatable. The other part was like, this is so disgusting and disturbing of you to post this on the internet. And I was astonished because the only thing that I thought was maybe a little risky putting it up there was I was like, can you see my, my, my anything in there like because yeah. i was like sitting there like pretending like my pants were down but they weren't it's like can you see can you see anything i was like now i've examined the video you can't see any cha-cha i was like I just, then i threw it up there not thinking that anybody would think that it was so controversial for me to talk about tampon usage on the internet people were they my agent texted me he goes that reel that you put up there killed people loved it but also you got a thousand unfollows from it yeah uh, that's not a testament to people needing to unpack a lot of their baggage. Like what else is? Because you're, I mean, there are definitely things that I talk about that I think, oh, this is going to land. You know, that's why you yeah. put content up. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I have all these <laughs> unfollows and hate DMs and people like messaging on my website being like, I used to like you, but now I don't. And I have to unfollow. And I'm like, I don't understand why you're so mad that you have to tell everybody that you are leaving. Like if you want to leave me, then leave leave. me. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, it is a weird thing. I feel like, so 2015 was the year that they like deemed the year of the period because everybody really took online. and was like, we're going to talk about it. We've been told not to talk about it. We're going to do it anyways. And now I feel like the pendulum is swinging and it may be the demographic. I feel like on on TikTok, like you're going to get people that are more like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like you're going to get haters yeah. mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. But I also wonder if there's something changing about as women are aging, because they are on Instagram, I'm there too, no judges, everybody. But if they're becoming more conservative, if they're feeling more reserved about their body or, mm-hmm. you know, what's just happening there? Because it was a lot more positive when you would talk about these experiences but I've noticed that, that there's a lot more backlash where people are like, you shouldn't talk about your body. And I'm like, we're here again. How, when mm. did we get here? I missed, I, you punched the elevator button and I guess it was just on a ride I did not anticipate. Wow. Yeah. Wanna, that's what oh. I noticed. I'm so sorry. I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. But I noticed that the people that were making those comments were older. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again, no shade. And I did read in some comments that people said this would go over better on TikTok than it Yeah, I told Instagram. her. I was like, you got a hit for sure, but it's a yeah. hit on TikTok. But it was yeah, a hit on Insta- it was a hit, yeah, on, yeah, Instagram, hit on Instagram, but yeah, it was yeah, definitely sure. people like, it's thought it was audience. more TikTok yeah. audience, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the people that unfollowed you, they were going to unfollow you at some point. Like something about you, they were going to be offended by. And yeah. I think we always have to keep in mind, I think all of us still, with our fair share of haters on the internet, is that you're not mentally well if you are on the internet hating on people and you are taking the time and the energy to write out a comment and then you click send and you don't reread that and you don't check that. And so that's the other thing as well is that we did just go through a pandemic and I still think a lot of people are struggling and we know that as we enter those perimenopausal years, our hormones are becoming a lot more chaotic that could affect our mood in a lot of ways. But it's also that demographic and above that sees double the rate of antidepressant uh, prescriptions and mood-altering medications, which I think is very much a testament to not only their hormones, but the stress, the pressure, everything going on in society. So I say all of that because I think it's really easy to be like, oh, I hate this Karen so much kind of rhetoric. And just to be like, 
wow, we can just really hold space for that person. They got to go do their work. You're not their therapist. Mm -hmm. Social media is not the place for that. Um, But, you know, it could be a lot more going on. At least that's how I always view it. Whenever people come with their hate, I'm like, wow, a lot of work you got to do. It's not for me to, to guide you through that. I I wanted to ask you a question, but first I just want, I was hoping that you could tell everyone what perimenopause is exactly, just since mm-hmm. you just stated it. Absolutely. So perimenopause is the decline of ovarian function, the prelude, if you will, to menopause. Prelude. So menopause is when we stop having our period. So we stop ovulating. So we, therefore we stop menstruating regularly. And that takes place, you know, a 12 month period, 12 months of consecutive, no period. Um, and I said period multiple times, not to be confusing <laughs> that section of your life, you will get diagnosed with menopause. Now, prior to that, about maybe even a decade before Whoa. you start to experience the touch and go of these ovaries, deciding whether or not they're going to keep up this whole game of cycling hormones. And so if we understand that it is acceptable at 45 to be diagnosed with menopause, you may be 35 and experiencing perimenopausal symptoms. I'm 35, don't freak me out. Yeah. So at 35, you can be experiencing menopause symptoms and it's called perimenopause. Perimenopause symptoms. But let's just be clear. But there are menopause symptoms, right? No, no. So they're perimenopausal symptoms. So um, what's the difference? Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to go there. So I love that you're asking. So with menopause, we have stopped. We're not cycling anymore. So now we get those symptoms of low estrogen that can be dry skin, uh, dry vagina, having uh, itchy ears coming up, your scalp becoming really dry, your joints becoming really achy and having a lot of sleep problems, loss of muscle mass. So we see those issues happening in the menopause period. Now, just so we're clear, you can be losing muscle and bone at any point Mm -hmm. in your life. In perimenopause, your body's still trying to cycle. So you're ha- you can have period problems. You don't have period problems in menopause. There is no period. So what that means is that in perimenopause, your cycles, they might start getting closer together. So you're instead of every 28 days, for example, and I talk about all of this in the book, there is no standard in terms of everybody must be 28 days, but we use it as a framework to teach. Maybe now you're having more close to 23 day day cycles. And maybe you're also noticing you're not getting those progesterone levels up. So now you're feeling more anxious. You're having trouble sleeping. You're the hot flashes. We always think like, that's all menopausal stuff. Mm -hmm. That's all happening perimenopause because Mm -hmm. progesterone is basically dipping out. And so the first symptoms you experience is the insufficiency of progesterone And that is different than menopause, which is no ovarian hormones happening at all. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Remembering my mom go through this was actually, it was actually more, I don't, I don't think the word traumatic is right, but I'm going to use it. Yeah. Yeah. She, it was more traumatic for her to go through perimenopause, perimenopause. than it was actual menopause because I think oh. she was like, "Oh my god, I'm losing my youth." Like she started seeing the signs. I just remember that yeah. she, she got like really sensitive scary. about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, aging yeah. is hard. What can we? What can we eat during? Because what I love about you is your your naturopathic background. Because I love just curing things in like a natural way. What are some things we can eat during the perimenopause? symptom period. So let's say we're 35, we're experiencing those things. What are some things we can do to like sort of not make, yeah, to ease them? Yes. There's a lot that you can do. So in the book, Is This Normal? You'll find that there is a cycle symptom relief chart where I take you through 
nutrition, lifestyle, and supplements that can help with a lot of these issues that I just highlighted. By the way, you can be perimenopausal and still have period problems, PMS, like all of these issues. Um, So you don't have to be perimenopausal is what I'm saying. This can happen at any point in your life, but perimenopause, it is a given that you're going to have these symptoms if you do not intervene. And nutrition is an excellent place to intervene. So one, fiber, fat, protein at every meal. We have to keep blood sugar stable because if those adrenal glands are popping off in response to instability of our blood sugar, more likely to have hot flashes, more likely to be angry and irritable and feel anxious and all of these symptoms that we don't want. So there's how you're eating, like what you're filling on your plate. I talk all about that in the book. And then I also give you a chart in the appendix of the particular nutrients that help with hormones and the foods that you get those in. So magnesium is one. If we have adequate magnesium and calcium coming in, that can certainly help with those PMS symptoms and even painful periods that you might be experiencing. This is where leafy greens, they're always winning. Leafy green vegetables can be really helpful. Uh, Not a lot of people recognize that that's a source of calcium. They go right away to like dairy and that might be the source of calcium for you, but a lot of people are lactose intolerant or have issues with dairy. So maybe not so much. Other things that can help, which might be surprising as peppers, rich in vitamin C. We love peppers. That's easy. Yeah. This is always where I'm like Mexican food, like traditional Mexican (laughs) food is, is like health food. It is good for your hormones. Like the fajitas. Yes. We can do that. Yes. Oh, I want a fajita right now. I want to have a fajita. (laughs) Okay. That's great. Wow. So so would you consider like, um, taking an actual pill vitamin for all these things, or would you say eating it is probably better? I think we should always start with food first, but we also need to recognize that we live very busy lives and we're not always going to hit the mark on our diet. And for some of these things like magnesium, supplementation with magnesium glycinate can be very, very effective. We get to a certain age for sure where doctors are recommending like you should have calcium. We should all have our vitamin D checked for sure. So it is individualized, but with vitamin C, you know, having that as part of a multivitamin can be beneficial. Omega-3 fatty acids, also really helpful for our hormones, but you have to be eating fish multiple times throughout the week. Not a lot of people are doing that. And to get those therapeutic levels, you're going to need to supplement. And so that's why in the book, I'm like, okay, here's the the nutrition piece of how to be eating, what to be eating, because you Mm -hmm. need to be supporting your body. And then here's the supplements. The most overwhelming part of your books. Really? I think that's that part. No, I'm to like, me that's I just the fajitas. Actually, it's fine. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, I was so just she, when so... she tells us that we can't have like white bread, I go like, I have oh, okay, white okay, bread. Okay. You know what's hilarious? So I'm loving that you're saying that because I because it really to me, and I want your opinion, obviously, Dr. Ryan, is it it all comes down to food. I just that's like my belief in everything in life. I'm like sleep and food. Like if you're eating like shit, you're just like you're fucked. Like with anxiety, with sleep, with like everything, with stress, aging. And if you're not sleeping, it's like all that stuff too. And people don't take it seriously. No, they really don't. We start to have until you get old, until your neck starts looking like rooster like. And then you're like, oh, why didn't I eat? Why didn't I take omega 3? Why didn't I take magnesium? (laughs) It's like, just do it now. Well, and that vitamin C that we were talking about, vitamin C, super, super important for your collagen and your connective tissue. So 
I totally know I'm in my forties and I'm definitely seeing the next stuff. And I'm like, ah, like why? I just feel like I grew up in California. I'm like, somebody should have like definitely kept me out of the sun more. Like, Someone should have taken resentful. you aside and told you. And you know, when it comes to like med spa stuff, the neck is still needs neck some it, experimentation. You know, we don't yeah. figure out the neck Not quite really. Yet. You know what's know, so funny? Cream, I am heavy cream. I recently interviewed the founder of Prey Beauty, P-R-A-I, and she, they specialize in the decollete. I love saying oh, that word. Yeah. And she decolletage. has the decolletage, decollete, this whole area that everyone just ignores. Yeah. And she has like serum. This isn't an ad, but she has like a bunch of serums and neck creams. And I'm here for that because like, yeah. I'm like, I've been wearing the damn sunscreen for like two decades of my life. And still <laughs> at some point, yeah, there's nothing yeah. you can do. I think it's just, yeah. it's us versus gravity and like everyone's neck. <laughs> just, yeah. and everyone's neck. Everyone's neck. Support for today's episode comes from Honey Love. And Honey Love is a shapewear that um, is more comfortable than any other shapewear I put on. And if I were to be planning a wedding, I would definitely be adding this to my uh, needs of the day of wedding because it is so comfortable and it sucks you in so well. And I know we're all out there looking for things that are going to make us look like that perfect hourglass figure. So Honey Love is there to help you out. Yeah. And they actually, funny you say that because they came out on top for the best wedding day shapewear, which to me is like, I feel like finding shapewear that you're comfortable in for the big day is so crucial because the last thing you want to do is spend all this money or be worrying about how uncomfortable you are on a day where you're supposed to just be like, you know, living your best life. And also what I what I am concerned about when I put on shapewear is that it's going to flatten my butt. Like it's going to suck you in everywhere and even your butt. But we know we need to have, you know, yes. some badonkana. booty, booty so these lifting have, This is, has booty lifting technology. And that is incredible. And also the, it lifts you without an underwire. So it's very comfortable, but it lifts your bust without an underwire. I want to go back to the booty lifting because that's mm-hmm, my favorite mm-hmm. part about Honey Love. So they have boost bands on the back of the thigh that give your bottom amazing shape. Like, like it's this is really just unheard of in shapewear. Like you don't have to worry about your butt being flat and you don't have to worry about it rolling down. Can I tell you how many times mm. I've been worn shapewear, Lauren, and then I sit down and then there's just like this skinny tire around my waist and it's just my shapewear rolled down. Yeah. <laughs> like oh, the rolling so is the worst. Treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com with the code GETIT20. Use code GETIT, G-E-T-I-T, 20 at honeylove.com. I have one question about um, the protein that you mentioned. So I think I saw this on your Instagram. Like, you know, we pump hormones into all the animals we're eating. Mm -hmm. Is that going to affect our hormones? Mm, So it's very interesting how in the United States, there's all kinds of stuff we do to our food that in other countries they don't allow. So if you Mm -hmm. are concerned about hormones and food, buffalo or bison, they yeah. don't do that with with that particular uh, organism on the planet. So that is my one favorite that animal. You can... Crazy is it? This <laughs> isn't going to be yeah. eaten You're anytime soon. Literally, I have like little bison. <laughs> oh my god, that's so cute! And then I'm like, eat them, <laughs> eat them now. <laughs> okay, that's that's interesting though. That's good to know. Well, I think we should give pause and really, you know, look at sometimes. So the research will say. Women with endometriosis should avoid red meat. Like that That's makes nice. it more problematic. And 
get the question is, is it conventional red meat or are we talking grass-fed, grass-finished meat? And so why I love the grass-fed movement is not just because you definitely are going to get higher quality meat. You're also going to be supporting a local farmer that has quality husbandry practices where they actually take care of the animal opposed to feedlots that only care about feeding them the cheapest food, pumping them with hormones so they grow as fast as possible and giving them, quite frankly, the worst life possible. And so that's just something I think that when we talk about food, we have to be conscious and we have to be aware of. You know, Anytime I talk about organic, there's always people who are like, there's no studies to show that it's more nutritious. And I'm like, nobody said it was more nutritious. We just said it was less endocrine disruptors, less okay. of our farm workers being exposed to reproductively harmful and cancer-causing pesticides. And when we recognize that in the U.S., they let way more slide into our food, even what is delivered to us in the store than they do in other countries, we really should give it pause because these other countries that don't allow that, they have a medical system where they're very invested in the outcomes because the government is footing some of this cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, um, we've talked multiple times about how like we go to Europe and we eat all day and then our stomach has never been flatter. No, and we my can God, walk right? around after dinner and all that. I, I, I did not have that experience. Except Maybe for I one, ate, I like, both 14 didn't times have, the amount you were supposed you, to, but we, continue. We, Lauren, <laughs> you and I both didn't have that experience the last time. I'm not sure why, but I'm going to okay. stick with the experience that I had prior. Okay, yeah. Anyway, another comment about that. I heard yesterday, I saw this Instagram reel or something about greenwashing and how like there's some brands out there that like make it seem like they're all like natural and healthy and like all, you know, clean of parabens and shit. And they're actually just branding it in a way and like eliminating Mm -hmm. one or two things. So what do we do when it comes to like endocrine disruptors and stuff, endocrine disruptors (laughs) and stuff like um, laundry detergent? It's Things such like bullshit I, that we even have to do this. Like, I just really hate this for us as consumers. Mm-hmm. No, it's um, horrible. I like last summer, I had a, a speaking engagement in Europe. I had several conferences to speak at. I'm going again this summer. I stock up on my like skincare products there because yeah. they, Where they is it? do. Uh, so I actually in Paris, I think if you go to <laughs> the Parisian pharmacy. City Pharma. Are you yeah, talking about right? City Pharma? Yes. City Pharma <laughs> is a goddamn dream. It's yeah. like CVS, but like high end, but CVS prices. And the pharmacists Whoa. are like super knowledgeable and really eager to help you. And yes, I'm like, I, I, yeah. And it makes me sound really bougie, but I'm like, look, no. if I got to go for work, I just bring no, a yeah. case. No, you I have know. to bring another carry on just Absolutely. to load up on City Pharma because Embrelease, M- you guys know that moisturizer is that how you say it? I use this moisturizer before I put anything, on. So. Yeah, Emberlease <laughs> is like just so know everyone knows it's at. it's a it's an amazing French moisturizer for your face. It's like twenty four dollars here or maybe thirty four, and over there it's like seven bucks. Oh, that sounds yeah. great. Yeah, well, and their sunscreens are different as well. They have more protection, more broad spectrum, and less of these endocrine disruptors. But you're so we're in the U.S. So what do we do? We do have to be hip about reading labels and asking questions. There's one product line that they market to curly hair saying like, oh, we're super clean and all this stuff. And I looked and their label says fragrance. If if it doesn't disclose what the fragrance are, mm-hmm. it, it, what they're, where they're deriving that, that is an endocrine disruptor. Okay. And that is one of the number one places, if you're looking at laundry detergent, looking at things in your house, if it smells good, it's meant to like mass, like get it out. 
that's going to be one of the easiest things you Whoa. can do. With what is our, research. what is endocrine? So endocrine disruptors are chemicals that mimic your hormones or block your hormones or go and destroy your DNA. Like they're bad news. So they can mimic your estrogen. A lot of people are familiar with BPA. All the bisphenols are bad. Okay. Just because like they haven't studied these other ones, uh, we're not going to pretend that like, oh yeah, they're going to like suddenly be better in this family. Um, they can also alter testosterone as well. So we're seeing men's sperm quality decline, like the amount of sperm that they're producing much, much less than their grandfathers by about like 50%. And that's believed to be due in part because of endocrine disruptors. And so it can affect men's testosterone, women's testosterone, any, any body can be affected by that. And it is not just you here right now. If you are a woman listening to this, when you get pregnant, your grandchildren's eggs are going to be developing yeah. in your body. So it oh, is a multi-generational wow. issue. Wow. All right. It's well, wild. there's just like, we could seriously talk forever and ever. I do want to go a little bit more into, you know, the women's stuff, like the, <laughs> the whole periods and pregnancy and all that. So we each have a kind of a question based on personal experience for you. And then we'll get into fan questions. Cool. cool. So we'll start with myself. I definitely tried to go by your eating and vitamin routine when I had to get off birth control and mm -hmm. spironolactone before I got pregnant. It actually worked pretty well. Um, I wasn't a total stickler with the food. Like I, I did Good. my best, um, yeah. but I, I, I wasn't getting hormonal breakouts. I was, I was very impressed with myself. Then I got pregnant and I could not eat healthy. I could only mm -hmm. eat whatever I could stomach. I had HG, totally. you know, yeah. um, it was oh, yeah. not, it was the worst time ever. And in my second trimester, I broke out like crazy. Mm -hmm. So on top of being so sick, I also felt completely ugly out on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so is there like what to do? Like, what does it say if we break out during pregnancy? Is there anything you can do? Because people ask me all the time, what did you do for your acne when you were pregnant? I was like, one, I was so miserable. You I had really not acne. a huge desire to yeah. even like experiment, but also just like i don't my dermatologist was like there's nothing we can really do right now because mm -hmm. it's all hormonal based yeah okay so firstly we just have to recognize that like you did the best you could with yeah. nausea this is why i always tell people like get on your prenatal do the best you can i remember i started out and i was like i'm gonna eat so healthy when i'm pregnant i'm gonna like Same. do all the greens everyone's like i'm gonna be yeah, the best everyone and, um, that yeah with my first, like to this day, I cannot have eggs with, um, I was making these like dishes that were like eggs and sun-dried tomatoes and avocado. And that combination, mm. if I smell it to this day, I'm like, oh, I'm out. not eating. Yeah. I can't wow. do it. Yeah. And wow. so, you know, I always say all bets are off in pregnancy, really, especially the first trimester. Oh so, yeah. I mean, all, only fast food all day long. And it was okay because I needed to get food in myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I need calories here. Yeah. Okay. So a few things. One is fast food is going to be higher in omega-6 fatty acids. There's going to be more inflammatory fats in there. The fats that you're eating are part of your oil production. And so if we've got inflammatory fats coming in, that can affect our skin, not just the appearance, but the health of our skin. Okay. So there's that one piece. However, we also have to recognize that in pregnancy, hormones are up. There's a lot of hormones and they're lovely and they can make us feel great, but 
the liver has to process all of those. And when your liver is done processing those, they have to be moved out through the bowels. What does fast food not have? Fiber. It is not oh. going to be quality fiber. Dr. Brighton. Yes. Holy moly. Um, I, well, I was question. on um, Zofran a lot too. So the constipation was real, but I would go a whole week without pooping, mostly yeah. Zofran, but then also because like the diet wasn't great. And my I remember this. being was oily as fuck. Like yeah. my hair went being like totally normal, have to wash it every couple of days to I had to wash it every day, basically. It was just yeah. saturated. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's suggestive of like androgens could have been higher, which we do have the like testosterone that is happening in pregnancy. So what I want to say though, about the fiber is that about, so you just identified exactly what it'd say. If anybody's listening and they're like, oh, I get acne, like always like right when my period comes, I always ask the question, does, so progesterone being up can be constipating. That's part of why we can also be constipated in pregnancy as well, but it can happen in our luteal phase. And I ask, like, do you miss a day or two of a bowel movement? Yeah, I do. And then two, three days later, you see acne. Your skin is going to move stuff out. If your bowels can't do it, the skin Uh, is another way that we move things uh, out. So fiber to help you move out those hormones you no longer need, have regular bowel movements and feed the microbiome, which is also involved in the whole inflammatory immune system response that can show up on your skin. And then eating your cruciferous vegetables. Like, is there anything more nauseating if you're nauseous than smelling cooked broccoli? <laughs> so, <laughs> like, it's so easy for me to say, right? I would actually say go with broccoli sprouts because, and you put those in the fridge and that's like the key is like put it in the fridge because the lower the temperature, the less likely you're going to be able to pick up on the scent and the flavor of those things. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. broccoli sprout, adding psyllium husk to some of the things that you were eating could have been helpful to get your fiber up. So we all want to be aiming for that 25 grams of fiber every single day. That helps keep the bowels regular, keeps the microbiome happy. So acne, even when it is hormonal, Taking care of your liver and taking care of your gut health can go a long way in helping you clear your skin. And I talk about that in Is This Normal? You were referencing beyond the pill of coming off the birth control pill and that protocol. I love that it worked for you. And I also want to say in Is This Normal? So you write a book and you're like, oh, everybody gets what I'm saying, right? And then people give you feedback and people were like, I'm not perfect. I'm like, I didn't expect you to be perfect with beyond the pill. Like that's, I don't want you to be perfect. But I realized there were people that, you know, a lot of wellness is like, you have to be a hundred percent all the time. Is this normal? I literally say, we're going to eat our cake and have our balanced hormones too, because we (laughs) up off of that mindset. Even hearing you talk, it's just so, I'm like, God, she's just so well, like you're such a voice and you have become such a voice. Like I, it's just been so cool to watch you grow since the last time you were even on our podcast. And I'm like, man, if you could just have her in your pocket all the time and now you can (laughs) with, is this normal? It's like, that's literally, it's like having Dr. Jolene Bryan in your pocket. There are a few products that I am obsessed with, uh, on my beauty counter, vanity, whatever you want to call it, then Lumi deodorant because there is no aluminum in it. And I've talked about how I love the smell of coconut so much. They have a toasted coconut smell. And I literally, I'm not kidding you guys. I get excited to put deodorant on Mm. to smell like toasted coconut. So I don't spray like perfume. I'm actually kind of like weirded out by fragrances now, especially after our podcast with Dr. Jolene Brighton. If you guys haven't listened to that, definitely listen to it. Um, But what's incredible about this is that 
Lumi was created by a gyno who actually discovered and proved in clinical testing that the vagina is not to blame for having odor under the belt. So she developed Lumi. It's this pH balanced deodorant, aluminum free, skin safe, and clinically proven to control odor for up to 72 hours. Um, I was asked the other day, because my armpits are in people's faces all day. Like, literally, my armpits are in your nose oh, all day whoa, long. Oh, I never thought about that. It's very important to not smell bad, because people will not come back if you smell bad, obviously. That's so true, um, Lauren. Wow. And someone was like, what perfume are you wearing? And I was like, I'm pretty sure it's my Lumi deodorant. So thank you, because I'm not wearing perfume. Um, so yeah, it blocks odors all day and up to 72 hours, which is shocking. Also, so, I just um, want to quickly share the other scents that they have, Lauren, yeah, um, especially uh-huh. if you're other hairstylists, aside from the coconut, they have this lavender sage, they have clean tangerine, fresh alpine, which who doesn't want to smell like mm-hmm. a high lake among the mountains. And they actually just launched new scents, uh, mint cucumber and soft powder. Sign me up. Uh, Lumi starter pack is perfect for new customers and it comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini wash or deodorant wipes and free shipping. So as a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with the code get it 30 at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack. When you visit lumideodorant.com and use the code get it 30. I obviously, as a single woman, wanted to ask you about sex because that's Me obviously too. I was the just about part. To get into that. Yay! I love that. You guys um, are like, forget this procreation. <laughs> I know. Like, we're like, let's we talk about libido. <laughs> well, it's so hard because we could talk to you forever, obviously, because there's so much to cover. Like immediately, I wanted to ask you what your thoughts were on liver cleanses because I have friends that do that. But um, it, for the sake of time, I want to ask you about orgasms. What is the orgasm gap? Oh, okay. So. This is a phenomenon that exists in heterosexual couples in which men are orgasming at a reported rate of 95% and women are orgasming at a rate of about 65%. And this is not an issue of like, she's broken, she can't orgasm because studies find that the majority of women can orgasm sometimes in as little as four minutes. Although people will tell, come to my social media and they're like, I can have an orgasm within one minute. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm glad you know your stats. Like, yeah. that's great. <laughs> I think that's important to track, like to yeah. know this. Yeah. So we also know that the gap is not as large in same-sex couples between women. Yeah. Two vulvas come together, they can hit that orgasm mm-hmm. over 85% of the time. So wow. this is a phenomenon that exists solely in heterosexual relationships. I need to switch sides <laughs> <laughs> no, it's wild. Okay, keep going. Yeah. Okay. So I talk about this. There's a whole chapter on orgasm. And I have to say, I actually just put up on Instagram. I'm like waiting for the um male trolls to come because <laughs> I had this um so this clip comes out from Women of Impact. And I'm talking about I'm talking about like, you know, why men don't make women come. And like part mm-hmm. of that is because of not being clitorate, not understanding the clitoris, uh, clitorate, not understanding how clitorate, hell yeah. Oh my God, clitorate. They like, don't literate. fucking get it. The amount of times I'm like, that's not it. Why are you, yeah. like, why, why is this motion happening? I have a million times I've been saying that's not doing anything. Lauren, I love the way that Lauren's tone is exactly the way she just said it like that. I also <laughs> love just being literate in the clitorate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have, women not know what my... feels good for women. So it's just, it's a no-brainer yeah Yeah. well if you are a vulva owner then you know how to uh, how to approach a clitorate like a clitorate a clitoris so much more easily because you have that experience and so that's part of the issue another part of the issue 
is that men have a lot of pressure on them, that they're just supposed to be good in the bedroom. They're just supposed to be like, they just supposed to know how to please a woman. And really, mm-hmm. if you want to know how to please a woman, you have to ask the woman that you're with and they yeah. don't get that memo because society's putting this pressure on them. And so there's not this communication that's happening. And then we've got another layer in, you know, all of that is that there's altruistic deceit. That is women will fake an orgasm to make him feel better. And so he thinks he's doing a good job, but he actually is not even getting near it at all. And and Mm -hmm. she's not going to have an orgasm. And, you know, another layer in all of this is how we're all taught in sex ed. It's very male centered. It's very male pleasure centered, right? What does our vagina exist for? For a penis to go in and a baby to come out. And that is it. That's what we're reduced to. And so this idea of vaginal penetration is the gold standard. It actually goes like way back in time. I talk about in the book how Freud, who's literally the worst, he was like, this clitoral organ uh, orgasm is so infantile. You really should be like reaching to obtain the vaginal orgasm. I was going to ask like, you, is a juice spot even real? <laughs> like, it's a highly debated thing. Okay. And um, so firstly, Freud, he sucks. And it's a lot. Why a lot I'm of people... laughing at the fact that Freud was like that one. Don't even bother with it. Don't the matter. real goal yeah. is to be harder. Yeah. I mean, oh my goodness. Like the, the penis owner being like, this is, this is the standard. Like, yeah. oh, we're not biased at all. Right. This isn't yeah. self-serving at all. To the point about the G spot, <laughs> people will argue this. Like you wouldn't believe like people yeah. get so big mad. Um, as mad as I was going to talk about the Instagram reels. That I put yeah. But people get really like, yes, there's absolutely one. And you're stupid if you don't say that. And you're dis- discounting women. And, and then people are like, well, we've never been able to like find it and validate it in the research. And what we've come to understand by the way, there's three different pictures of a clitoris in my book because uh, even most medical textbooks aren't anatomically correct in representing. Do you know what page it's on, Doctor Ray? Um, I do not off the top of my head. Okay, I'll see oh. if I can find it just so we could show in our video for the Patreon. Yeah, there's three. Get into the uh, orgasm chapter because that sets it with the vulva. I actually okay, commissioned an it. artist to make these because I was I like, I, like if medicine's not going to do it, we're going to do it ourselves and we're going to put the clit in people's hands. Like so, That's men out impressive. there can get educated. Um, so as I was saying, the clitoris is much more vast people were like, oh, it's just this little button on the outside for a really long time. Then there was research based on a cow. Yes, there, that's the vulva. That's not the vulva with the clitoris. They oh, have sorry, vulva, vulva with in the clitoris. There. Okay. I'll um, find it. So, so, uh, I talk about this in the book. It wasn't until 2022 was the first time we actually had data on the nerve endings of the clitoris showing that there's actually 10,000. All the research prior to that was based off of cows. Uh, so now yeah, why cows? Oh, because we weren't dissecting female cadavers. Nobody's like really invested in female pleasure the way that they should be, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Like, the research is lacking, uh, understanding is lacking, the training in medicine about the clitoris. So you taught us this in the history of that on the last time we had you on our podcast, and I was like astounded. Remember when we were talking about remember guys when we were talking about birth control and how you're like this, like there's not like the, there's just no research. Yeah. 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 There's a lot lacking. Um, so G spot, let me just finish that thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. G spot could be that the, the wishbone legs of the clitoris are being stimulated. Okay. It could be the nerves that innervate the clitoris going back because they can go into the uterus. The cervix can be stimulated as well. And so there it is. Um, that's just all the, like the, the long winded way of saying like, who freaking cares if there is or isn't a G spot? Does it feel good to you? Do you like mm-hmm, it? Was mm-hmm. it a good time? Are you satisfied? Like end of story, because 
we have so little understanding in terms of like how much we understand about a penis compared to a vulva, a clitoris, like all of our anatomy. And it really doesn't matter whether or not I can validate in the research there's a G-spot. If you're like, hey, this anterior wall, so for people who don't know, G-spot is belly button side of the vaginal canal. That feels good to stimulate, stimulate it. Like do what feels yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Lauren, did you what? have a next follow-up question? Um, I do. Ashley, Mama Ashley's like, we're going to let Lauren have a turn. I know, it's very nice. <laughs> um, okay, so I have literally no libido and Ashley doesn't either. Um, what is a food that will help us get a libido? And is that well, just okay. like part of growing up? Clarify two things here. What? One, we're both on Citalopram. Citalopram, okay. you dumb dumb. Citalopram, okay. And two... um. You can also, this is more of a psychiatrist, psychology side, but I'm sure you have something to say about it. Yeah. I have a friend who went to the gyno this year and she was like, I think there's something wrong with me. Like, I literally don't feel like ever like turned on. She's like, is this normal? Is this normal? Right. (laughs) And they're like, well, you've been in a long-term relationship. You know, we've been in a relationship for like three plus years. So this is kind of normal to feel. So now having both those tidbits, Okay. What's your answer? Okay. Two different things going on here. One, I do list the medications that can absolutely mess with your libido and SSRIs are one of them. Mm -hmm. So when serotonin is up, it can be harder to get in the mood, to get aroused and to have an orgasm. It is like so frustrating because it's hard to like want to take your clothes off to do it. Like once you're doing it, it's fine. But like (laughs) the thought of doing it does not sound good. Okay. That's responsive desire. So I'm going to like pin that one. We're going to definitely talk about that. But to answer your question about uh, food that can help when you're on an SSRI and you're not able to have an orgasm. So anorgasmia, well-known side effect. They're like, weak, they're like meh, or they're not even happening kind of orgasms, mm-hmm. or you have no libido, saffron has been shown to be beneficial and it actually saffron. needs to be, yes. And yes, actually, one of the mo- saffron's yeah. one of the most expensive spices, I think, there's in the world. There's a reason, right? <laughs> but there's all, yeah, I, I was told to drink saffron tea for anxiety, actually. Saffron has so many benefits. Like uh, it's also really beneficial if you have PMS or you have cramps. It's like, what doesn't mm. saffron do? I mm. definitely encourage always to like bring it in as a as a food as medicine approach. But with SSRIs, it is a supplement that's been shown to be beneficial when people are experiencing this. So, so can you take it in pill form? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then how how much do you take before like a sexy night? Or do you so just you, take it like you a daily? You're taking it daily. Yeah. Okay. Most people benefit from the, the constant, consistent dose. Um, but what you just highlighted with like this responsive desire. So you're like, oh, like the, I'm not thinking about it. I'm not wanting it. But once I get going, then I'm like, oh, okay. That's classified as responsive desire. So okay. spontaneous is what we always see in the media, right? It's like, they just yeah. looked at each other. They're like, <laughs> everybody's like dripping wet and rock yeah. hard and there's orgasms and it's all hot. And like, that's the research is like bullshit. Oh, so with that, the spontaneous desire can be some people's normal. We will see couples have like a mismatch sometimes where it's like one couple, like one person then is like spontaneous desire. Like they just think about sex and they're like ready to go there. It takes mm-hmm. very little stimuli. Whereas the other person in the relationship may be more responsive. They're not going to initiate. 
they're not even going to be thinking about it. But once things get going, their brain and their genitals and their entire being is like, oh, we like this. Yes. Like, let's do more of this. But they wouldn't, their mode of operation isn't just like sex. They wouldn't think so. So what do you do when there's the two people like that in a relationship? Yeah. Okay. So firstly, let me say that responsive desire is normal, but it gets classified as low libido. It's not. Okay. It's just a different way of being. If you've got mm. two people in a relationship who are both like never thinking about sex, I mean, that's actually like rare to see um, because at some point you were really attracted to each other. Like we rarely date somebody because we just want to have a conversation. <laughs> like, let's <laughs> yeah. just be yeah. honest. Like yeah. it's usually like, you're like, okay, I'm gonna get to know you or maybe you don't want to get to know them, but you're just like, I want your pants off. Like this is right. my goal here. <laughs> right, right. Two people let's, let's cut who, to the may, who may think about it, but like need to like, the, they need the stimuli. Two people that yeah. need stimuli. Okay, so this could be another part of the conversation. So in my libido chapter in the book, I outline all of this, like the hormones, the medications, the spontaneous versus responsive desire. And then- this theory, this model called the dual control model that came from two researchers from the Kinsey Institute who use the language, their analogy is we have gas pedals and we have brakes. So the gas pedal is their I loved your on video screen. on, I loved your video on Instagram about this. It's so good. <laughs> awesome. So then you know what's coming. So sometimes what's going on in a couple where it's like, we're, we're not as interested is that we've got a lot of sensitive brakes. So in, we're like even if the sexy stimuli, the signals are coming in, their nervous system can't interpret it. It can't bring it in. And so sometimes that is, we don't want to get pregnant and uh, we're scared of getting pregnant. Other times it can be body image issues, performance anxiety for men, um, relationship issues, hormones, medications. Like there's all of these things that can literally lay down breaks so that when we are inclined to think like we should be having sex, by the way, thinking we should have sex is a major break for a lot of people, yeah. but we can find that we're just not in the mood. We don't have that desire. So sometimes it's a shift away from sex altogether and focus on connection, intimacy, and having touch for touch sake. So a lot of times- I love people that. Yeah, well, it doesn't always have to lead to sex. Like sometimes just a massage is a massage. Yeah, orgasm orgasm should never be the goal ever. Like, what girl can orgasm when she's like expected to orgasm? Yeah, Yeah, no one. What's interesting is that when you look at the research, you would think like when you talk to average people, they're like how do you know sex is good? And they're like, orgasm. You had an mm-hmm. orgasm. And it's almost reflexive as like, that's what we think we're supposed to answer. Yeah. You take away the ability to see your face and you are totally anonymous. And we ask you what, like think to the best session you had, what made it good? Connection, empathy, intimacy, yeah. feeling like me and my partner in sync and rhythm. Like these things are more important than the orgasm. But if you have a conversation and you're face-to-face, people are like, orgasm, because that's what we've been trained. I want to add another word to that because for me, what I found in like personally speaking is safety. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think a lot of people, whether you have like abandonment wounding or I don't know, the word trauma has been thrown around so much now that I don't even want to like say it anymore. But when you, I feel like you have to feel safe too, especially if you're Absolutely. single and you're like with different potential yeah. like partners and you're mm-hmm. out having sex or you're just doing it for fun. Like, I don't know. Do you find that safety or like sort of, it 
also leads to like feeling relaxed, which can also lead to orgasm? Absolutely. No, you're not going to have an orgasm if you're not safe. You know, there's this um, really dumb phenomenon on the internet of men talking about how like, oh, the tighter, the better. And I'm like, oh my God, you really know nothing because a tight vagina is a vagina that is scared, that is not interested, that is not relaxed, that is not yeah, accepting. that's terrifying and is not... that they like that. Yeah. Aww. Well, they talk, They they. it's again, it's like they think that's what they're supposed to say. Totally. It's like they think that's the way things are supposed to be because they've had a lot of miseducation. And so, you know, and they make a lot of they, these jokes, these jokes that they make about women's bodies. I'm always like, tell me you're insecure without telling me you're insecure right. because that's where that's coming from. But, you know, I talk about, so there's a chapter called sex of all kinds. And I start with the conversation of pain with sex. Three out of four women have reported having pain with sex. And sometimes it's a lube issue. You know, sometimes you're intoxicated. And so it's, it's, oh, by the way, if you are drinking alcohol and your doctor's like, yeah, that's like, that, that'll help you have, no, it won't help you because you are going to have a harder time lubricating and so maybe you have dry sex, like, you know, and that hurts, like, and so you've had that pain with sex, but it could be something else and these other layers. And I talk about the fact that, you know, that, that phenomenon, if you are not aroused, you are not feeling safe, you also have to feel secure in your own body. Like if we have trauma is the right word because we can have mm. tissue trauma of like, whoops, this happened. And, you know, that's, it's not the kind of trauma of like sexual assault, but that's another layer I talk about as well. But even the trauma of that one time it hurt, your mm -hmm. nervous system's like, this is something painful. Like we have oh, to be cautious. We have to up, be. Yeah. And again, this is where the touching for touching sake without expectation to sex can help retrain the nervous system I love that. so that you're more responsive, but you are 100% spot on. If you do not feel safe, you cannot, you, somebody wants to be inside your body. Like, why don't we ever let that sit in? Like yeah. that this is one of the most vulnerable states. I think you about be that all the time. And when I was a virgin, I would think like, it's so much scarier for girls to get into sex because like it's somebody coming into like our body. It's like a total violation yeah. of us. Whereas like with guys, like they're going into another space. Like, of course, it's a bigger deal for a girl. Mm -hmm. And, you know, his anatomy is already external. It's already touching yeah. his pants all the time. And then there's the you know, things that society tells us, right? Of like, women are supposed to be like, you know, the Virgin Mary or, or whatever the rhetoric is. Like, you should never be deflowered and all of this stuff, uh, you know, that I debunk in the book as well about, you know, people saying things like, oh, women are not supposed to have so many sexual partners. And if you ask women, like, you know, the good girls, they don't and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you know what? You can, you can ask all you want. We do surveys on it. Nobody's telling the truth. Nobody's telling yeah. the truth. Men are rounding up. Women are rounding down. That's the only thing we know for oh, certain. That's so true. You really can't validate that. Going back to the tight vagina thing really quickly. If you ask a guy, they're like, oh, she sleeps around all the time. She's got a loose vagina. I'm like, what's the difference between that and a married woman of like 20 years who's been <laughs> railed like all the time? Like uh, it, it, there's no difference. Yeah. What does it mean a loose vagina? Perceived ownership, I think, of the vagina. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what it is, is perceived ownership of like, mm. 
I married this vagina. This is my vagina, and it's only yeah. had me. Therefore, it's perfect. It's tight fine. and pristine. Yeah, exactly. yeah, right. <laughs> and as someone with like endo, I just want to say as we wrap up this part of the combo, um, I love that you started off with "Is sex painful?" because it can be for a lot of people. Yeah. And if you go to page like one hundred and nine in the book, there's so many reasons why that could be. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's really, it's just really incredible that you took the time to really like give everyone every single reason so that you can like sort of decide for yourself. Well, my editor was like, this chapter is called sex of all kinds and you're jumping in with painless sex like right away. Why are we going there? Like, why don't we jump into like the, the good part, the fun stuff? And I'm like, because pain is dismissed. It is not given the attention it deserves in women's health. And when it's pain down there, doctors are like, well, pleasure is like, you know, nice if you have it, but if you don't, whatever. I think that's really problematic, but it also sets it up that, We can talk about pain with sex. We can investigate that. And then I can tell you all the other things that are sex that are not penetration so that you don't feel like, well, I can't connect with my partner or I can't have pleasure or I can't be intimate with someone because there's this big myth in society that uh, only vaginal penetration is sex and everything Mm -hmm. else is just everything else. I think it's... um, it serves a lot of different positions, um, mm. yeah, no pun intended, but it serves a lot of different positions to to make that kind of claim. And yet things that are classified as foreplay, I mean, the word foreplay really exists again, male center that like the vagina exists just for penetration and it's sex is not sex unless it's penetrated, you know, vagina is penetrated by a penis, but foreplay is sex. And there are people who are very satisfied with it. They are having the best time ever, but then they've got this, the guilt that comes in where they're like, but we're not having that, like we're not having sex, sex, like society has told us, like something must be wrong with us as a couple. There's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with you. If you're having pleasure, you're both happy. It's consensual. You're satisfied. You're winning. Keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'll just continue getting massages because that is my version of sex. There you go. (laughs) Getting touched. (laughs) Seriously. By my partner. (laughs) It's Mother's Day, and I know my kid really can't get me anything. Yeah, I know. He can't give me anything but whining. But uh, <laughs> No, maybe the- <laughs> he's just complaining. We made this differentiation. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, if you're a little bit older out there and you're looking to find the perfect Mother's Day gift... Mama, mama. <laughs> mama, exactly. Mama, mama. That's why... For, um, for your mama, mama, mama. Yeah, <laughs> If, we'll if ca- wanna... We got you covered, Ash. Yeah, you got, okay. a, you got a little okay. baby over there, and he can't get you but, story but, but work. Please tell, please, please tell him what would be a great gift idea in a couple years for him to give me. Dawson, if you want to know what to get Ashley, you need to get her StoryWorth. So StoryWorth is pretty revolutionary. It's an online service that basically helps you preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. This is how it works. Every week, StoryWorth, if you sign up for it, will email your loved one. Obviously, you pick the person and give them the email. So they will email that person a thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast pool of options. And their question's basically like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? If you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? What's really cool is that after a year, you'll basically have like a book compiled of your loved one's stories, including photos, a beautiful keepsake. I think this is so smart to do for any mother, obviously any mother like figuring your life. So let's say you have a grandmother, a bubby, uh, mm-hmm. A nai-nai that lives like far away. Can you think yeah. of anything better to make them feel seen than like literally getting to know them better through StoryWorth? 
give all the moms in your life a unique heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years i could see this being like passed down passed down from generation to generation and be on every coffee table but anyways you'll cherish for years story worth right now for a limited time you'll save ten dollars on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash get it that's s-t-o-r-y-w-o-r-t-h.com slash get it to save ten dollars off your first purchase storyworth.com slash get it uh, I know we only have a few more minutes left. I have one more question. Uh, and then we have to go into a couple uh, follower questions. But listen, uh, I feel like we need you to come on way more often because I we know. just spent a whole hour without ever getting to basically anybody else's question. All right. So one more question before we get to some fan questions. I heard from a friend that if you take a certain, I don't remember what the supplement was, but like if you load up on some vitamin or mineral or something before you get pregnant, you may not be as nauseous. Is there any truth to this? Have you heard of this? So vitamin B6 is probably what you're thinking of. And there has been research showing that vitamins B6 can be helpful, but it does just because you load up on it ahead of time doesn't mean that you won't be nauseous. So don't, if anybody's like, I had really bad nausea in pregnancy. Don't feel guilty. It's not something you did. Like there, I, this is another avenue that we don't understand a whole lot about. But vitamin B6, 25 to 50 milligrams daily during pregnancy can help some women with nausea. So I would okay. assume that's probably the one they're talking about. Okay. Well, Worth in the shot. case, in that case, it's probably not going to work for me because whenever I took the vitamin B6 with Unisom that they try to give you as a combo before Zofran, no, not yeah. to work for me. Anyway, okay. Well, well I know and that. I would say trying like a B complex or trying like a different prenatal or something else that's a better, like that's a better quality that's easier to absorb might be the way to go as well. Okay. All righty. Let's get to the questions on the gram. Okay. I'm going to ask this question just because I think I know where it's leading and I think it's something that important that we haven't talked about yet. This girl says, why do I have super heavy periods in acne? Hmm. Okay. Well, the acne can be hormonal related. It could be related to testosterone. So excess androgens, uh, the heavy periods that could be an issue with fibroids, endometriosis, excess estrogen, stimulating the endometrial lining. And it also is like, how heavy are they? So as I go through the book, I tell you like, this is what a heavy period is. Sometimes we're like, oh, wow, it just is really heavy for like a day or two. And we think we're having heavy periods when in fact, that's normal. And so it just depends on what, what is actually going on. Is it really long? Is it, you know, just really heavy? So I talk about in the book, different causes. Are shorter periods considered more healthy periods? All right. Mm. Okay. So there's a range. If it's, it's okay. less than two days, that's usually a low estrogen state going okay. on. If it's beyond seven days, there's something else that we need to investigate. That's too long to have a period. So okay. a lot of people are going to have periods between three to five days. But if you're having seven days, that's normal. But if you're if they're really short, mm, that's not normal. Okay. So if you have like a two and a half day period, I feel like mine are like two and a half, sometimes three. Yeah. Low well, estrogen? No, not necessarily. That might be your normal. When we see somebody who like you know, bleeds for like maybe a day and then they just have spotting. And Got it, it. what Got it, it is, is that you're not building up the endometrium in the same way. If you're on hormonal birth control, that's normal. You're not like, yeah. you're not building up the endometrium in the same way. But outside of that, we can see that happen sometimes with functional hypothalamic amenorrhea. 
poly, uh, so primary ovarian insufficiency. And it can also be one of those signs of like, and we're going to be going into perimenopause. Perimenopause can also have really heavy periods as well. So it just depends. Okay. All right, Ash. Next okay. Um, one is, is it, this is embarrassing, but the smell down there, does it change after kids? Mm. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you've had a child. Mm. How bad did you sweat postpartum and like got stinky and like everything was sweaty? Um, this happens. So your armpits, they have glands that we all accept. They sweat, they can smell your groin has the same glands. And so sometimes that is where this sweating, this odor is coming from. It's not your vagina. It's actually sweat glands in that area. And you have to treat it Mm. the same way. The problem is, is your armpits, like I can put my arms up right now. What are you going to do with your thighs? Like you got to like be walking around like a cowboy, right? Just like really wide leg. Like, so there is like the thighs come together, our clothing, what underwear are you choosing and what Mm. kind of pants are you choosing? That can all make a difference. If you're having odor in the vaginal canal, so it's like, oh, it's coming from my vagina for sure. When there's an odor and it's fish-like, that is bacterial vaginosis. And mm-hmm. that can happen after having kids because it can be the pH shift happen. So pH shifts can happen. I outline them in the book. Semen can cause it. This is why when men are like, oh yeah, she, we had sex and then she smelled like fish the next day. I'm like, you did that. You're the problem. Yes, it's okay? always after hooking up with the wrong dude that happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> oh, it's like your vagina's like, Okay, maybe your brain isn't picking this up, so I'm just gonna be the one to tell you he's not it. hundred percent. It only it. happens after hooking up with the wrong guy. Yeah, um, but also like going through childbirth, you bleed for a period of time following that. Blood can disrupt the pH as well, and that mm. the pH becoming more alkaline can be problematic. So there's treatment that you can do for BV. In the long run, I talk in the book about the lactobacilli species. I talk about how estrogen, lactobacilli are your besties to really help you hold down the microbial health of the vagina. Okay. Um, A lot of postpartum questions, multiple ones asking, when should you expect for your hormones to start to regulate? So that's always the question I get as well. And I'm like, what hormones are we talking about? Because your adrenal glands, they're going to, they're going to hold on for dear life and they're going to try. Um, and when you get to sleeping regularly, they're going to have like a way better fighting chance. If it's your thyroid, we need to be testing thyroid, in my opinion, in postpartum women, anywhere to four to six months postpartum, because developing a thyroid condition is really common after having a baby. When it comes to the ovarian hormones, That is a matter of when your cycle comes back. Now, important, I talk about this in the book and I will talk about this to the day I die because we're always taught like, oh, it's the period. And then we ovulate. No, we ovulate, then it's a period. And so this is really important to understand that if you are postpartum, you need to be paying attention to your discharge, to your libido, uh, to your signs that you might be ovulating, especially if you don't want to get pregnant again. Ovulation is going to come first. It is not until you see ovulation and then you, then you can have a period until you have that period that your sex hormones are going to start regulating. So a lot of times postpartum people are like, what can I do to get my estrogen and progesterone balanced? I just had a baby. I'm like, nothing. I'm sorry. <laughs> you had a placenta <laughs> giving you all the goods and then you delivered it and your hormones dropped to that of like, a postmenopausal woman, and we've got to wait for those to come back online. Now, part of why you're not ovulating is if you are lactating, 
prolactin is up and that can be a suppressant. It is not birth control reliable friends. It can be in some people for the first six months, but as doctors, we're always like, don't trust it. If you don't want to have a baby, don't trust it. But that prolactin being up is going to suppress ovulation. And so you're not going to cycle. So this is exactly how you're designed, exactly what your body should be doing. Can we talk about the amount of discharge that I had while pregnant? I had to wear a pad basically every day. I was, Ah. ooh, so yucky. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's normal. You have increased blood flow and those hormones are up and estrogen loves to get everything juicy down there. And so that's totally normal. Yeah, it really helps plump up the cells. The cells are like functioning at their best and they're like, look at us, we can make all these fluids. Um, quick question following up your, the ovulation, then, then period, um, do you get like, uh, hornier when you're ovulating? So like you're, yeah, great great question. You've been paying attention. Okay. So (laughs) I take you through in the book, all of the phases of your menstrual cycle and everything that can change for you. And one of those is your sex life. In fact, the 28-day program, I take you week by week and we're focusing on not just like how to optimize your hormones but also how to optimize your sex life by working with your hormones and how you may feel. So you can figure out what your normal is. Vast majority of people who cycle are going to tell you that around ovulation, that is when their libido is up. And it makes Mm -hmm. sense because estrogen and testosterone are rising at that part of our cycle. And I actually talk about how there was a study that called this the sexual phase of our cycle. And as soon as I read the study, and it was like the sexual phase. I was like, mm, that's ovulation. But I yeah. like that framework because if you don't want a baby, you can't have a baby. You're past your years of, um, you know, wanting to have more children, like any of that. Like we don't have to just reduce you again to like baby making capacity. Maker. Like we can just talk about you as a sexual being. So absolutely. When estrogen and testosterone are up, it's also the time I would love if people in the comments could just like let us know. You ever scroll social media and you're like, ooh, you're, you're like, I feel a stirring in my nether regions. Yeah. Like, I'm really into this. Sometimes you see women commenting on other women's posts and being like, I think I might be gay. Like, I'm changing teams here. Like, what <laughs> yeah. is going on? Yeah. I have had people write me and they're like, am I gay? And I'm like, I can't answer that. Like, you can only you can answer <laughs> that. But the thing is, is that it doesn't matter what it is. Your brain just takes it as sexual stimuli. They're mm. like, sexual. Great. That's something sexual. And that is going to be, you're going to find that when estrogen and testosterone are up in your cycle, you're more prone to that. So you might be scrolling social media and you're like, I'm so into this, but I'm not so into this. Like my body's saying yes. My brain is saying no. Your brain wins. Okay. Your brain's in charge. Your genitals, like they, they just sometimes don't know what they're doing. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Cause I'll like, I'll feel something, which is kind of rare or whatever. And I'll look at my little calendar and I'm like, yep ovulation time for sure yeah, makes totally. sense <laughs> can you have that is there like okay this is this is a dumb question i feel like especially since i feel like i know a lot of this stuff i'm on the pill despite what you would like because it, it does make my <laughs> so life it's easier not my body friend uh it's not <laughs> okay. my body like no, don't so, blame um, her. you should <laughs> never care what your doctor likes or doesn't like like okay. if it's the best decision for you full stop okay okay okay, okay. Is there any, is there like any point of like my pill cycle that I would feel more turned on than others or was it, would it all be oh, in my that's head? A question. No. So when you're on the pill, you're not cycling. It is yeah. hormones on or off. If you do placebo week, you're off. Otherwise it is static throughout the month. So 
Um, this brings to a really good conversation. So firstly, you didn't disclose that when we were talking about the SSRI and no, oh, I know there's birth that too. is like there's one of the too. top libido killing medications. Yeah. So, um, I've always you, blamed that cocktail. <laughs> I've always blamed the birth control more than the mm-hmm. anti-anxiety because I started feeling the effects, the low libido effects before I ever got on the yeah. anti-anxiety but i yeah, was on absolutely. birth control for a few years before that now this is well recognized in the research women report it all the time it diminishes your ability to make testosterone and it increases sex hormone binding globulin which is going to bind any testosterone you have those two things put together wah, wah, like that can mm-hmm. definitely impact your libido and it is a situation it doesn't mean like you can't have sex it just means you might not think about sex and like you not you might need a partner who's like really bringing their a game really putting on the um on the moves there. So, um, when you're on the pill, not cycling, you're not going to see the same things that somebody off the pill is experiencing because that rise and of testosterone and estrogen, what is happening is the ovaries are getting an egg ready. Then when that egg is ready, estrogen spikes to tell the brain egg is ready. Brain says, great. Luteinizing hormone ovaries release that egg. And that is the whole ovulatory phase. And so if you're on the pill, you'll never get that spike of estrogen Mm -hmm. happening. Mm -hmm. And you'll never get like that little feeling of ovulation, which I swear I come up with in my head though, where I'm like, ah, I can feel it. But it's like, no, there's no egg being released. This is such a good point though, because this (laughs) like really lends itself to the conversation of how it's not just about hormones. And so hormones are really important. I talk about them in the book, but I do talk about the other aspects of our life that can affect our libido. So your partner may have like put the dishes away, picked up takeout, like, you know, kids went to bed, like all of that happened. And you're like, yes, I'm feeling a stirring. Mm -hmm. And it's more about how you're feeling supported, how Naz was saying, like that safety signal, Mm -hmm. all of that lending itself to you being in the mood and having very little to do with your hormones. Okay. Uh, I have two more questions that seem to be repeating in in the questions. <laughs> One, when am I going to get my sex drive back after baby? Oh, so when are you going to sleep? <laughs> so when it comes oh boy. To, yeah. For I mean, me, that's a big it's been it. 14 months of not sleeping, but okay. Oh, friend, I have a 22. Yeah. Old. Yeah. He's going to be in June. He'll be two. Um, and he is not, this is why I'm just like, I am not on birth control. Cause I'm like, I need that ovulation yes. phase. I need yes. that ovulatory phase overcomes any cortisol shutdown. And it's just like <laughs> cortisol, not interested in you right now. So I, I'm, like, right I, I'm like, <laughs> what am I thinking? Uh, I don't know, but whatever. He's cute. I'll keep yeah, him. Exactly. Same. So, Make him cute for I'm a reason. Fine. Yeah. So this is so true. So being a mom, especially in our society that is so poorly set up with community, that, that's a stressor. The sleep dysregulation, that's a stressor. There's a lot of things that are a stressor. And if these stressors are signals to your body, environment is not safe. So back to that safety conversation again. That's why I was so excited that she brought that up. And so if that's going on, our adrenal glands are going to be popping off with the cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine. We're not going to feel our sexiest self. We also have like the other added bonus of being in a society that always reduces us to our bodies and what do they look like? And now we're in a new body and postpartum, Mm -hmm. you're like getting used to this body for like, you grew this human for like 10 months. 
then, you know, it takes you like a year for things to like move back in medicine. We're like, don't even try to lose weight until you're a year postpartum because you need to be focused on healing, recovering, like strength training, like these kinds of things are more important. And so it's just important, I think, to recognize that one, your hormones are to play in, in some of this and we need to be reducing stress in any way we can. Two, we can be really touched out. Having a small human clinging mm. on you all the time why would you want to be touched by someone else? Normal feeling. And so this is where like, partner, you need to ease up my breaks. You need to make it so that I have less stress on my plate. Um, you need to make sure that I am getting those signals of like, you love, you care about me beyond just wanting to use me as a means for sex, because that can definitely come into play as well. And then for us, it's making sure that we are tending to the things that let, yes, keep our stress low, but also the things that are going to help facilitate hormone health. I talk about all of that in Is This Normal and how to support your body. But in terms of like, when will it come back? It depends. Because sometimes we end up with partners who just aren't very good co-parents and you're not going to want to have sex with somebody mm -hmm. who you see, who you start to resent. So yeah. it can be a lot of different factors coming in. I wish I could just be like six months. That would be so great. <laughs> that's incredible. That is so many reasons, but yeah, that's six months. And like also having a partner that's going to like appreciate your new body. I feel like a lot of yeah. it's like, you don't want to take your clothes off and that's like a, you know, one little simple one, but tough. yeah. Yeah. And then there's the whole, like, is my vagina going to hurt? But you know, honestly, that fear is real. Yeah. That fear is real and it's different for everyone. It is. And it's different after every child. And oh. it's so interesting because I have patients who are like, yeah, my first, second, third, like didn't matter my fourth. And I ended up having a tear and I was, I was terrified. And, um, for people listening, I think a lot of society, you know, we get this like, oh, your vagina will be forever ruined and changed. Majority of my patients report after a vaginal birth, having better sex, having much oh. better sex. And I don't know Wait, if it's guess because- what? I agree. Yeah, and my I midwife, agree my midwife told me that would happen. My midwife was like, believe me, I was like you beforehand. And like, I like it better. Really? Afterwards. That's and awesome. I do. That's yeah. awesome. And I don't know if it's part, like, I think it's probably a combination of things, but like you get really comfortable with your body and pregnancy, yep. and then especially you push a human out and you like yeah. feel this like connection with your um, vagina in a way you never have. And you're just like, I'm so powerful and it's so amazing. And it's so much more than just like a receptacle for a penis. Like it's just this really incredible thing, but also the tissue changes and the tissue expands and things are different. So there's just not how the vaginal wall changes, which by the way, it it's like, it's an accordion. People are always like, oh, it's going to be stretched out like a balloon. It's an accordion. It's going to, it's going to come back together and we all squished mm -hmm. up. And mm -hmm. there are male partners who report that sex is way better after vaginal birth. And that may be part of it. It may but be also, also the way... because the woman seems to enjoy it more. Yeah, absolutely. So therefore, he enjoys it more. Yeah, that's definitely a part of it. And then, you know, the vulva has changed as well. So maybe things are more exposed, more erogenous regions are exposed so that when you're having sex, like it's easier to stimulate them. So there's a lot, I'd love to see like studies about like before and after. Have you seen those vulva castings people are doing now? Yeah. Uh -huh. I wish that I had done that like 
pre-baby, after baby one, so after baby cool. two. And I could just like have the like timeline of my vulva change <laughs> on the wall of my house. Your children uh, inherit them. <laughs> I know, right? My mom and vulva. Uh, it's like in the will. Like yeah. if you like if you want to inherit X, Y, and Z, the vulvas must remain on the walls at all times. Amazing. Oh my God. Oh, and my I kids would be like, she thinks she's so funny. At vulva cast. I love okay, it. fine. We'll, we'll end it at okay. vulva cast, but I have to ask Dr. Brett, I'm going to put peer pressure on you now. Can you come back very, relatively soon, like within yeah. the next month or two? It's because you three that are harder to coordinate with. I'm like, okay, I can be there, and you're like, there's three different people. There schedules. is no and hard, like, but tough, but it's I mean, shit, I got one schedule. I think it's hard sometimes, but yes, uh, like we can make that happen. I will tell my assistant like their priority. Let's make okay, it happen. because it cool. seems like y- you've spurred on so many questions from the fandom and you're kind of like a fourth rambler for us basically it's just a ramble on women's stuff oh my god i'm just gonna come back once a month and be a regular i know we can talk talk about about things that you don't get in regular life too that'll be fun yeah 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 all right well until then if you want more of these tidbits get the book is this normal by dr jolene brighton it's out everywhere where you get your uh books (laughs) Wherever you get your books. I'm so used to saying where it's at, podcast. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time very soon. Bye. Sounds great. Bye. Bye. I don't get it. Podcast.